Pastor John, I don't think. There you go. So good to see you all this morning. Welcome this beautiful Sunday morning. We keep having beautiful Sunday mornings. Isn't this nice? Got all that rain on Friday. Didn't you enjoy that? Just rain and rain, and when it finished raining, it rained some more, and uh, wow, it was coming down. But you know what happened yesterday when the sun came out? The grass got green overnight. It was amazing. And uh, spring is here, so get out your lawnmowers. It's about time. It's coming, I promise. Let's see what we have in the way of uh, announcements. We've got a bunch of them. First-time visitors, please make sure you stop by the uh, desk out there and let us uh, welcome you officially with a gift. If you're joining us online for the first time, let us know. Make a comment. Let us know that you're out there, sbtnd.org slash connect. And then our Indie Missions Week is coming up, 9th through 12th grade. The parents and the parents are meeting uh, after the second service, right at the second service, Pastor Andrew, right over here. And uh, so if you would uh, meet with them, they would really appreciate that. Paper football tournament's coming up, commonly known as the Toilet Bowl. And uh, it is a blast. They, they have a great time with it. If you win, you get the golden toilet seat. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. So uh, that's coming up on, I don't see a date up there, Pastor Andrew. It's tonight. That's why I don't see a date up there. It's tonight, after the evening service. So, yeah. <laughs> the date's there. It's just, I see it, Sunday, March 5th. I'm not looking under the toilet. So there you go. Uh, let's keep going. There we go. Uh, career night is coming up for Awana on Wednesday, March the 8th, so dress like your future profession, if you know what it is, or just pick one, and uh, go for it. It's always a fun night. It's fun to watch. If you want to get some good pictures, Wednesday night's the night to do it, uh, so you can do that. All Church Skate Night is coming up on Monday, March the 27th. That is $5, uh, for your entry fee and for skates. And if you're not going to skate, then uh, I think it's $2. If you're not going to skate, you can just come in for $2. And then um, uh, it's just a great time. I'm just telling you, you'll want to come. Your pastor will act like an idiot, but that's okay. You'll still want to come. I didn't. I haven't broken anything yet, and I know as soon as I say that, I'm going to follow Miss Amy, and I should not do that. So, But I'm not going to try not to break anything again this year. It's just a lot of fun. And uh, there's more. A Creation Museum trip is coming up for the Awana kids, Awana age group kids. That's Thursday, March 23rd. Today is the last opportunity to sign up, so make sure that you um, see JD and do that today if you've not yet already signed up. And uh, Caregiver's Resource Class is going to be starting up on Thursdays at 7 o'clock, starting April the 6th through May 18th. Um, there's several things you're going to learn about just being a caregiver uh, for those who are older or whatever it might be. So if you're interested, you're maybe entering that phase of life or someone you love is entering that phase of life, please sign up for that. Uh, you can come and be a part of that. Ladies' Banquet is coming up. There's a bunch of, they warned me, there's a bunch of announcements. Uh, the Ladies' Banquet, Friday to May the 12th at 6.30 here. The cost is $5 per person. Now, guys, this is not, you're not getting off the hook. I need to let you know, guys, what we do is we cook and serve, all right? We do the cooking, we do the serving, the ladies get to eat. Uh, and so, you know, you've got to figure out how to be here to help out with that uh, because typically we have... 150 to 200 ladies here that we're feeding, and uh, it's a lot of work. It's not like it's just going to happen accidentally, and so uh, we need help to so start making those preparations. Sign up by April the 30th, and that will help us out a lot. And then uh, Keepers of the Kingdom is our vacation Bible school theme. Uh, volunteers are needed, so they need three teachers for the three to five-year-olds. That's so putting out the uh, the call for that one. If you can see JD for that, that would be great. And our missionaries of the week are the Willises in Spain, and I'll just share the, with you this um, from their newsletter. Uh, many of you have prayed about our resident card situation. Our second lawyer called us a few weeks ago, exuberantly proclaiming a miracle had happened. God had moved in the hearts of government officials, who, according to her, have no heart, to review our situation, opened our case, opened our case closed file, and amazingly granted us a five-year residence card. So that is a huge praise. And so they're over in Spain trying to serve the Lord there, and God's answering those prayers. So um, I have one as well from our family. Um, you know, we just um, have been so touched by all of you. been a rough kind of couple weeks for our church. A lot of uh, things happening, a lot of, you know, uh, things to deal with. So uh, Mel's mom passed away last week, and last Sunday night was the funeral here, and 
the way that you folks just have jumped in to take care of our family has just been incredible. So uh, I won't read your letter, I'll tell you, and uh, you can read it on your own out there. But uh, just, just so you know, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ in a wonderful way, and uh, we appreciate it. We love you for it. Let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get ourselves ready for the service. Father, thank you for the beautiful day you've given to us, for the opportunity we have to be here to allow you to challenge us, to speak to us, and we pray that you would uh, help us to grow in your grace. We ask that uh, every, every part of this service would point us to you, uh, that we would know when we leave here today that it's been good to be in your house, and we will thank and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. We're so glad you're here with us today, and we're going to be singing about Jesus Christ, uh, who he is, what he does for us. He is strong. He cares for us. He wants us to lean on him, come to him. So let's sing together, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year, with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. May your hearts be sanctified this morning through God's word. Thank you. You may be seated.
Thank you, Matt. Can you put yourself in that song? Is your desire for God and Him alone, right? There's so many things that pull out our heart, our desires, and yet Jesus is the only one that satisfies and we can run to Him. We'll sing that next. I run to Christ. I run to Christ when chased by fear and find
Wow, that was. And make their hearts as gold. What a joy that is. Take your Bibles into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so there's a ring happening up here. So, Just so you know, we are making some progress on uh, allowing the service to be piped live into the fellowship hall with the goal of causing us to go back to having one service where. Uh, things get, you know, split up a little bit, but still happening all at the same time. So Sunday school would kind of fall back to Sunday school hour, and um, then we would have our service time. And I need to talk to you about it a little bit because you got to plan for it, all right? Uh, I, the reason that, several reasons I don't like this setup, um, and one of them is that there's always the fear of creating two separate congregations and people don't interact like we would like for them to. There's still that fear, right? If we still, we're still separating you out, so there's still that fear. So in order to make that not happen, um, what we did when we did this previously, we did this for about five years before we built this building uh, over on the other side. And it works, so I need to just kind of walk you through it now, and I'll be walking you through it every week, because I want you to get used to the idea that we're going to practice it a little bit, because Easter's coming. And that's kind of the big 
trial of it, you know, to see how it all works. Uh, but uh, we will divide up the congregation alphabetically. And uh, on week number one, I'm just making these these up, all right? This is not how it's going to work because we're not going to take a full half the congregation over there because it wouldn't make sense. This is a much larger space than that is over there. So we'll probably take about a fourth of the congregation over there and leave a third here. But anyway, uh, so, you know, it, I'm just going to make this up. So let's say A through M would be in here on week number one and N through Z would be over there on week number one. On week number two, we would have, and this is, this is where it starts getting tricky, all right? So on week number two, we simply flip-flop things so that we can give everybody a chance to have the nice seating and the not-so-nice seating. Then we go A, C, E, G. Every other letter would meet in here, and every other letter would meet over there. So that we're mixing you up on purpose. We're trying on purpose to make sure that you don't just get in the rut of this is my group and that's their group and never the twain shall meet. You understand? So we, we, we calculate how to make all this happen. Now, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this right up front. There's not going to be any alphabet police. All right? If you're not in your place, it's not like somebody's going to come and tap you on the shoulder and say, you don't belong here, move over there. That's not going to happen. All right? Because I happen to know that some people are so set in their ways. They're like, Pastor, this is where I've sat for the last 27 years. And if you're asking me to move, I'm going to move. Churches. You understand? I mean, that gets silly, but I'm, and we're laughing, but it can't be 27 years because we haven't been in this building for 27 years, so that wouldn't be true. But you get the idea. And I understand that some people are like, this is my comfort zone, Pastor. If you're trying to kick me out of my comfort zone, it's not going to work for me. Okay. I'm not, we're not fighting that battle, right? So just you sit. That's fine. There's not going to be an alphabet police. But I am telling you that if you want the church to be strengthened through this phase, then it, 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 what we're trying to do is force interaction on everybody. All right? So right now we're having two separate services. I preach the same service twice. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever listened to both services, but they're never the same. I don't preach the same in one service or the other. And, uh, but I feel as if the first time I go through something is where I lay it all out on the line. And then the second time I'm going through it, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to recreate. Now, and so in other words, what I'm trying to do is, is humanly manufacture what God was doing the first service. And I find myself trying to do that in my human strength, trying to remanufacture, you know, the Spirit of God working. And I, I, that's not good. And uh, that's one problem. Second problem, which I, we brought up the other day, is it, it, it creates the impossibility of, of um, what's the spur of the moment thing when you do spontane, spontaneity, right? It, it takes away that, you know, because... You can't be spontaneous in both services, especially if you need a little more time. This one has to end in order for the next one to begin. You see how this works? It has to end for the next one to begin. So if I'm an evangelist, you know, evangelists, they're all about let's stretch out the service. And, and they'll say, Pastor, I appreciate the liberty because, you know, I, I, we just want to follow the Spirit's lead. Well, we do too. We want to follow the Spirit's lead as long as the Spirit leads you to end at 1030. You know, <laughs> and that gets a little harder, right? So there's just a lot of little problems. I know that there's a lot of pluses, but there's a lot of little problems. So um, we're, we're, we voted on the budget. Included in that budget was the money to do this, because in order to pipe it over there in real time without that 30-second delay, which is not doesn't seem like that much to you, but if you had the doors open, we would finish singing, sit down, and and, or we would be praying after finished singing or something, and we would be listening to them singing. And you, you see, because 30 seconds delay is a lot. And so uh, we're trying to get that to go away. So anyway, just think about it, pray about it, um, get ready for it. Whatever you have to do mentally to psych yourself up for it, I don't know uh, if it requires something from you or not. But anyway, uh, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Also, there's a sign-up for Golden Prayer Warriors out there uh, on it, whoever whoever you wrote it must have must be in mil, ex-military because it says 25, 
25 March 23. Uh, so that's March 25th, 2023. All right. So if you're trying to figure that out, military dating, but it's out there. Uh, you can uh, you can find that out there, right? All right. So we're in in First Corinthians chapter 15. We've been there a lot in the last few weeks uh, because we've had a lot of funerals, and so. But this is not a funeral message. It really isn't. Uh, but that's, we've just been there in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, a lot. But this time I want to, I want to talk about um, what it means in this society to carry the badge of Christian. Because it's a, it's a weird place for us to be. Now, as Christians who understand the Bible, we ought not to be surprised by what we're seeing. The, the, the reality is that the world has to go the direction that it's going so that the scripture is fulfilled. Not that God is causing the world to go towards sin because God does not tempt anyone to sin, right? And, and that's just a real God doesn't sin, neither tempteth he anyone to sin. So uh, it's not that God's causing people to go the wrong direction, but God said to us in the scripture, the world's going to be going this way, and as, the, as it gets darker and darker, start looking because my coming is near, right? So he, he tells us this. Uh, and so. Uh, we ought to consider those kinds of things. Well, with that in mind, Jesus also said that if you follow me, men will hate you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And like never a time in my Christian experience, I got saved when I was 16, entered the ministry when I was 17, and I'm 62 now. Almost, yeah, I'm 62 now. I guess I am already. And so I've, I've been in the ministry a long time. I, this is all new. I mean, the, the, the uh, temperature uh, of our society toward Christianity is just new and different. Um, when I first became a pastor uh, 32 years ago here, it's the only place I've pastored, um, it didn't matter what hospital you went to, you were like, you had carte blanche. You walked to the hospital, you said, I'm the pastor, tell us what you need, pastor. You could go there. Anytime you wanted, whatever, visiting hours were all, it didn't matter. You were the pastor, you got carte blanche. Most of the hospitals in the area even had clergy parking that would be up toward the front so that you could park someplace and get in and out quickly and you didn't have to look for those parking places. That doesn't exist. I'm talking about our faith hospitals. Methodist Hospital, pick a saint, it's not there. There's, there's, no, there's no clergy parking and everybody has to take their turn to make a visit doesn't matter who you are. Now, COVID made that really on steroids, and it's backing off a little bit. Usually now, if I say I'm a pastor, they'll bend the rules on the, on the visiting hours. But I'm telling you, uh, for the last three years, even pastors, people would say, you know, pastor so-and-so is in the hospital. It didn't matter. They can have one visitor, and it doesn't matter if you're the pastor or not. It doesn't matter who you are. It didn't matter. So we, the climate has changed. And uh, I want to talk to us about that a little bit, and then I want to Give us the real hope, all right? Father, we ask that you would just uh, bless as we discuss this thing that is happening in our society and how it uh, can impact us and pray that you would help us to grow through uh, your grace and you know, all. We'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, so here we are. We're, we're now in this place. And so uh, what happens or is what's happening out here is that the world has taken a microscope and they've turned it on to the those who claim the name of Christ. And they are looking at us in, in, in microscopic ways. So here's, here's what's begun to happen. As Christians, we believe the Bible. And because we believe the Bible, we believe in a moral code. And that moral code then makes us declare that some things are right and some things are wrong. And to have the audacity to say something is wrong, it... it, it goes into the face of the direction that our society is going. And I'm not talking about our society like in Washington or in New York or Los Angeles. I'm talking about here in Indianapolis. We talked about this a little last week where there was a bill uh, before the, the House, and uh, now I think it's in the Senate, it did pass the House, but it just simply said, uh, you know, if, you're, if the kids are in third grade or lower, you, a teacher cannot talk to them about sex in any way, shape, or form. Most of us would say, amen, that makes sense. What do you need to talk to an eight-year-old about sex for? Right? That doesn't make sense to us. And yet, it goes in the face of society. And so there are people, 
putting pressure on Congress not to pass that bill. Praise the Lord, they went ahead and passed it anyway. Uh, that, you know, the idea that we have to have a bill that says that is the shocking part, really, right? And so because we have the audacity to stand up and say something is right and something is wrong, people turn a microscope onto us and they call us bigots. And they call us narrow-minded. They call us arrogant. They call us holier than thou. And they're looking at us through through their you know, worldview, but that they're taking that microscope and turning it on us, and, and the name-calling is harsh. I mean, you know, Christianity is not, there's, there's nothing friendly out there to Christianity anymore. Uh, again, you used to have carte blanche as a pastor, you could walk in. That's just not true. Uh, and so not only is it tr- not true that we don't have, you know, an easier path, but that now the path is becoming harder and harder and harder. Uh, and people are, are turning on us in ways that, I, I don't know, it's just it's hard for us to even uh, grasp and comprehend. They call us hypocrites, by the way, and they call us ignorant. And so what that does and what it's been doing is causing us to take that microscope and turn it on ourselves. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. I'm not suggesting that we should ignore accountability. But what happens is, we turn the microscope on ourselves, and folks, I don't care where you are in your Christian walk, there's a part of your life that's hypocritical. And we ought to be ashamed. We ought to look at that and see that. But what's happening is, in our Christianity, we're buying, we're buying the name-calling that they're, t- they're calling us. We're turning the microscope on ourselves, and we're seeing hypocrisy, and it does exist. We're seeing narrow-mindedness, and it does exist. And we're seeing bigotry, and it does exist in our churches. And we're seeing these things, and we're, we're turning the microscope on ourselves. And what it's doing, rather than driving us to get things right with God and take a stronger stand, it's causing us in shame to hide our faces and pretend that what Christ has done for us didn't matter, and we're letting the world have its way in the, in the way we're approaching society. Well, I don't want them to think I'm a bigot, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. So what we're literally saying is, if I keep my mouth shut, someone is going to go the wrong way, destroy children, hurt the minds and hearts of children, but I don't want to, I don't want to stir the water, so I'm going to just keep quiet. That's what we're saying. And that doesn't make sense. Now, it is true. It is true that when I put a microscope on myself, I come up short every single time I come up short and so some of what the world is throwing at us is legitimate that's the problem some of what the world is throwing at us is legitimate so we, we need to have two responses here and I want to talk about those two responses today as we, as we get into this one is the first response should be obvious to us if we're being hypocrites get right with God and stop being a hypocrite right quit pretending to be something you're not Quit being a Sunday morning Christian. Uh, there's an old song from the 70s. Boy, I hate when this just now popped in my brain. Uh, because I use that phrase, that, and it's not our style of song. It's not. All right? But anyway, you know, Sunday child, don't be a Sunday child. On Sunday, he is quite a saint. But on Sunday, Monday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, Saturday, a saint he ain't. And then it goes on. But that's just the chorus. That was from my teen years, all right? So don't be that Sunday child. We should not be a hypocrite. So if, if we're being hypocrites and we see that, one of our responses is let's get right with God, right? If there's bigotry, listen to me. We do not hate the sinner. Neither does God hate the sinner. God hates the sin. And all too often in our Christian circles, we cross that line into hating the sinner. And that's where bigotry is. And somehow we feel that they're not worthy of God's grace or that we are better than they are. And we become narrow-minded and arrogant and ignorant about what the Bible teaches. And if that's the case, we ought to get right with God. This is one of our responses. Let's get right with God. How dare bigotry enter into our Christianity? So whether it's bigotry toward a Toward, I, I don't like using the term race because there is but one race in humanity, the human race. But whether it's bigotry toward 
skin color or bigotry toward where someone was raised or how they were raised or where they're from. You know, that, that, big, that ought not exist. It ought not exist. Have you read the book of Revelation? And it literally says, from every tribe and every nation. So you're going to spend all eternity with people that you might not feel comfortable with right now. So figure out right now how you feel comfortable with them and get rid of the bigotry. That doesn't belong in Christianity. So one of our responses is to get right with God. You know, if we're ignorant, then let's stop being ignorant and let's grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not be guilty because we're unwilling to get right. But then there's a second response, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Because what I see happening is the world is, is throwing epitaphs at us, and we're buying it. And it's causing us to shrink away from our faith. And we're being silent. And silence is like literally saying, I don't care if your kid dies and goes to hell. I don't want to offend you. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Silence isn't the answer. And yet, I know that no matter how many times I get this right, I get this right, there's always something else I need to get right. I'm not like Jesus yet. And so when the world looks at, the, at me through the microscope, they're going to find things. And, and if I'm going to let the fact that I am not yet like Christ keep me from speaking up for Christ, then no one will ever hear about Christ. You see how this works? We're, we're never going to be like Christ until we see him. And then we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But until that day comes... We're still fighting this battle. So what I want to show you is the world looks at us, at us through a microscope. But you know what God does? God looks at us through a telescope. Because God says, you know, I began a good work in you and I will complete it. And he looks down the road and he doesn't see this John Ray. He doesn't see this weak, anemic Christian who fails him day in and day out, he sees a righteous John Ray, a holy John Ray. And I want us to look today at how God sees us. And if we can get a hold of how God sees us, then it will give us, I believe, the confidence to take the stands we need to take in this day and age. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me show you how we begin how God sees us. Verse 42, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. So also is the resur resurrection of the dead. Now it's talking about, you know, Christ being raised from the dead. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are without hope and all that kind of stuff, right? It's all that. But listen to what it says. Sown in corruption. You know what we are in right now? Corruption. This is us. The world sees us. They see us like we really are. That's the problem. They see us like we really are. There's corruption. And if we allow that label to push us to silence, we are never going to be used of God as he wants to use us. But God sees us through this telescope. He is seeing the end production here. He's seeing what's going to happen at the end. So, sown in corruption, but look what it says. Raised in, what's the word? In corruption. You know how God sees me? Wow. I mean, everything about me in corruption. So the wrinkles go away. I don't know if I'll have hair the rest of you all. I don't really know. But uh, something like that's going to happen. But, you know, the, the aches and pains go away. That's the physical part. But spiritually, that deadness of sin that we drag around, that flesh that we have to get up and fight every day, it's, God sees the end product. And so when he sees us, it's like, there is my incorrupted, incorruptible son, John. That's him. And God sees us at that telescope. And if I can, if I can get hold of how God sees me, and the, the guilt goes away because the guilt has been placed on Christ. I love the passage we read in Hebrews where Christ died once. And it's a one-time thing, and he died for the sins of the world. 
And once our sin is placed on him, it is done, it's dealt with, it's gone. That's the end product. We get up every day, and yes, the world is correct in saying we are this and this and this, because we are. And we are correct in saying we need to get this right with God, because we do. But if we allow that label to back us into silence, we're missing what God has for us. Because while I stand before you in corruption, I stand before God in corruption. Play on words there, right? Did you see that? Stone in corruption, raised in incorruption. That's the glory of it. Keep going. Look what it says here in verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. Hey, that's us, right? That's the problem. The world is looking at Christianity and saying, look at the dishonor. Is there dishonor among Christians? Are there Christians that are guilty of the same thing that unsaved people are doing? Yes, that's the problem. That's the problem. We need to get things right with God. But there is dishonor. We're sown in dishonor, but we're raised in glory. The, the dishonor goes away and we're raised in glory. And God views us in that end product. The reason we can come boldly into the throne of grace is because I'm not bringing my incorruption and dishonor with me into the throne of grace. But in Christ, this is where I'm at. I stand glorified, justified, sanctified. So I'm, I'm shown in dishonor, and yes, the world can legitimately say, there's dishonor among Christians, and there is, and shame on us, we ought to get it right. When we see it, we ought to get it right. But it ought not to back us into silence, because the only hope the world has is the hope that we have in Christ. And we need to tell them this hope. And I'm afraid we're, we're backing away, because we look at our, our Christianity, and we're like, there is dishonor. Yes, there is. But we have a God who it's a done deal in Christ. It was done once, and now in Christ we are raised in glory. Sown, it says, in weakness, but raised in power. Do you remember when, when the Apostle Paul was, was uh, struggling with his thorn in the flesh, and you can discuss whatever that might be, but he struggled with that. And three times he went to the Lord and said, would you take this away from me? Would you take this away from me? And what did God say? My grace is sufficient. And he keeps on going to say, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Are we weak today? Yes. I mean, yes, that's what we are. Just like the Apostle Paul, that's what it means to still be in this flesh. That's what it means to still be waiting for that day of redemption. We drag weakness around with us. And does the world legitimately look at us and say, you're just a bunch of weak, pathetic Christians? Yes, they're right in saying that. But God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. God's strength shows forth. God's glory shows forth beyond our dishonor. You know what the glory of God is? Is that... Wicked, vile, sinful people get saved. And God's going to take them to heaven. And that's God's glory. Do you see how this works? So I'm afraid we're backing away like, oh, I don't want to offend anybody because who am I to say anything? Look at me. I'm just this person who's corrupted and this person who's dishonorable and this person who's weak. Yes, we are. But in Christ, we are raised. And it's different and so allow the, the glory of God and allow the power of God to shine through rather than allowing the world to back us away from his truth. What does God say about it? Let's go on to verse 44. Sown in the natural body, raised in a spiritual body. You see, when God looks at us, he's not looking at us in the here and now. He's looking at us in the telescope. He's given us the down payment the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, is the down payment awaiting now for that final day of redemption when this mortal shall have put on immortality and everything changes. But God already sees it as done. It's complete in Christ. Read the book of Colossians. That phrase is, is there. We are complete in Christ. 
It's not a, we will be complete. We are complete in Christ, which gives us the freedom to come boldly to the throne of grace. The world is looking at us, and then we look at ourselves, and we're like, and, and we keep seeing the weakness, and it's there. It is. We keep seeing the dishonor, and it's there. And we're, we're allowing it to push us back into silence, which prevents us from being the light of the world which prevents us from being the salt of the earth. And we're, not, we're no longer impacting the world as we ought. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. Let me give you some other quick things. I'm going to run out of time here. But in John chapter 15, Jesus says this, Henceforth have I called you not, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you, what's it say, remember? Friends. I have called you friends. You see, yes, the Apostle Paul, who was struggling with whatever he was struggling with, was weak, and yet God's friend. And you and I are weak, and yet God's friend. And yes, we are sown in dishonor, but God sees the glory, and he calls us friend. And yes, we are sown in corruption, but God says, in Christ, all that corruption is taken away. He died once. And it was all placed on him, and the sin is taken away, incorruptible. And that's what he sees, and he calls us friend. I know how the world views us, and the world may be right in many aspects. I'm afraid we've begun to view ourselves like the world views us. And again, if it's there, we ought to deal with it. I'm not suggesting that we say, well, okay, I'm, I'm complete in Christ, so I can continue to do whatever I want. No, what we should do is I am in Christ, so I want to be like Christ so that I can have the impact on society that I'm intended to have. But we, we've begun to view ourselves, and we look at ourselves like the world. And in shame and reproach, we're backing away from the challenges of our day. We don't want to stir the pot. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to offend anybody. And we're just backing away. In shame. Well, folks, listen to what the Bible says. He took, became obedient to the death of the cross, despising the shame. He took that shame. The shame is no longer ours to bear. He took that shame. Ours is now to fight that battle every day of our flesh, to put off the old man, put on the new, and shine forth to a world who desperately needs an example of Christ. And so we can't get caught up in, the, in the, the things that the world is showing to us. In Isaiah chapter 43, another passage we've looked at in the last couple of weeks because of funerals, but it, it has to do with our uh, study as well today. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, look what it says, for I have redeemed thee. See, when God looks at us, if God were going to call me a name today, his name would be John, my son. John, the incorruptible. John, the glorious. John, the righteous. John, the redeemed. You see how this works? When God sees us, he sees us totally different than the world sees us. And when we understand what we are in Christ, it empowers us to live out what we are in Christ. And I'm afraid we've, been, uh, we've allowed ourselves to be beaten down because much of it is true. And we look at ourselves in the microscope and we don't like what we see. And, and, and we say, how can I speak out when I have all these issues in my own life? Well, for one, get it right. What you see, get it right. But beyond that, remember how God sees us. He says, you're redeemed. I love the next phrase of this verse. Isaiah 43, verse 1. I have called thee by name. I love that. I love the fact that God knows my name. There are like, what, eight-something billion people on the planet today. And if you put all the other people that have lived in the past together, I don't know how many that is. I know it's a lot, right? I know billion is a lot. Uh, for instance... Uh, in this room, uh, there's about half of you that have lived for two billion seconds. 
You have to be about 65 and above to have lived for 2 billion seconds. A billion seconds is 32 years. Go home and do the math. A billion seconds. That's a lot. And yet God knows every one of us by name. And he calls us by name. I mean, it's not like every time we pray, we reintroduce ourselves to God. Hey, God, it's John. I don't know if you remember me. Yes, he does. He calls us by name. And so this wonderful God of ours, you know, we're not a stranger to him. But he goes on and he says, here's what God says. I want you to catch this. God says at the end of Isaiah 43 and verse 1, Thou art, what is it? Mine. Thou art mine. Um, when uh, Mia was born, her birth parents decided they were going to name her Mia. And I have to tell you, honestly, I was like, the only Mia I had ever heard of at that time was Mia Farrow. And I thought, I do not want my daughter to be named, and most of you don't even know who Mia Farrow is. But uh, anyway, if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen uh, The Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland, the girl in The Wizard of Oz, was Mia Farrow's mom. And uh, Mia Farrow was not a good person to mirror your life after. And so we thought, you know, we went back and forth, and we, we, we didn't want to dishonor her birth parents, but, you know, Mia, that was a tough one. So we, we did what we ought to do. We looked it up. What does it mean? And here's what it means. It's like, Mamma Mia. Have you ever heard of that? Mamma Mia. And it means mother of mine. And when you use the name Mia, it's as if God is saying, she's mine. Wow. That changed our perspective. At that point, we're like, let's name her Mia. You know, and we kept the name. Because we wanted to be the Lord's, right? God is not ashamed to call us mine. You know what's, what's amazing about parenting? Doesn't matter how bad your kids get, you're still proud of your kids. You may not be proud of all that they're doing, right? But you know, we don't write our kids off and walk away from them. We just don't do that, right? We love our kids. We're parents. We love our kids. Our kids mess up. We love our kids anyway. We help them through the mess up, but we love them anyway. And we'll go to bat for them every time somebody says something about them. And I'm reminded of that every time someone speaks out against Christianity today and blankets us with bigotry and blankets us with, you know, uh, narrow-mindedness and whatever. And and I I think, I wonder how God the Father is responding to this. I'm going to tell you, he is a slow-to-anger, gracious God. You know how he's responding? He's responding by coming along beside us all the time and just reminding us, hey, I don't care what they say, you're mine. You're mine. You're mine. That ought to motivate us. That ought to help us to, to quit allowing the badges that are being thrown at us to, to be worn around. God says, you are mine. Still in that same passage of scripture, verse 4, it says, since thou was precious in my sight, I have loved thee, therefore, we're precious in the sight of God. In Ezekiel chapter 16, don't have time to go through it, but after he finds the baby alongside the road and he cleans the baby up and dresses the baby and does all these things, he comes to this conclusion, verse 13, and thou wast exceeding beautiful. You know when God sees us, he sees, wow, look at my beautiful child over there. The world is throwing, you know, words at us left and right. Some of them are true. But when God sees us, that's my beautiful child. That's my holy child. I don't have time to go through the list. That's my pure child. That's my righteous child. That's my justified child. That's my glorified child. That's my redeemed child. That's what God sees because he looks at us through a telescope and says, this is what you're becoming. And I want us to consider what God sees. And live out the, the words that God throws at us rather than being beaten down by the words that the world is throwing at us today. Heads out, eyes closed, please. In Second Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, 
that he counted us worthy of the kingdom of God. See, the world looks at us and we're not worthy and they're absolutely right. And we turn that microscope on ourselves and we, we allow ourselves to be beaten down. And I am not one of these guys, you, you know this, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, is all about, you know, people's self-image. I don't try to build up your self-image, right? Our self-image is that we're sinners saved by the grace of God. What I want us to do is focus on the grace of God. Maybe you'd say, Pastor John, I'm not even certain that I'm a Christian. I'm not sure that God can say about me that I'm his. I'm not sure that God can say about me that I'm redeemed, that I'm justified, that I'm glorified. Because I'm not certain, Pastor John, that I am in Christ. And I'm concerned about my soul, about where we spend eternity. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up and let me see that so I can pray for you? Is there anyone like that? And Christian, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this. I'm just going to ask you to consider it. As you're going to work, as you're going to school, as you're living out your life, and the world is throwing names at our Savior and names at us, let's not allow those, those things to stop us from doing what God has called us to do, to drive us into silence, to hide our faith as if we're ashamed of our Savior. But instead, let's let the Savior be glorified in our weakness. Father, give us boldness and strength afresh and anew to live the way you've called us to live. Remind us of who we are in Christ. And we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing together. Jesus, I come. As we sing, you step out and let the Lord have his way, would you? Bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, give you peace. God bless you, your artists. Love you all.